Thank you. Well, we're about to engage in a brand new book, a brand new book. And this book was written uh, around 45 AD, give or take a year, uh, based on the information that we could read. And if this is true, then the book of James is not only the first epistle written, it's the first book in the New Testament written, which is quite interesting to think about. There's over 100, there's 108 verses in this book, five chapters long. Over 50% of those verses are, are, are almost uh, directives for believers, uh, obligations, if you will, of, of how we're to live out our faith. The book of James is, is an absolute practical book, uh, a book of of how we apply our faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be uh, covering this, obviously, today, but we'll be covering this for the months to come. And if you go back several books from James to the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew, you see that Matthew records uh, a great message by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a lot of instruction. He communicates a lot of different things. Matthew 5, 20 says, For I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Over and over Again, we see Jesus explaining what true salvation looks like. And if you look at the book of James closely, as we will together, you will see that these two parallel quite a bit. The Sermon on the Mount and the book of James. In fact, some people have said that the book of James is almost like a commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. The book also connects many other writings in the New and Old Testament. I think of 2 Corinthians 13.5. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? We have an Old Testament prophet, Haggai, in the first chapter, Haggai is one of uh, the 12 minor prophets. And this book is only two chapters long. Very, very small book, but a real good read. And it, it, it was written about 520 B.C., so about 565 years before the book of James. But Haggai 1, 5 through 7 says, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Psalm 26, verses 1 and 2 show that the believer shall be tested by their works. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. This book is going to challenge you. This book is going to challenge me in our everyday walk with Jesus Christ. And I think too often we get complacent and we forget that we're serving not just our Lord and Savior, but we're serving the King of Kings. Sometimes we have trouble serving a king because we don't understand it here in America, what it means to serve a king with great pleasure, with whatever they ask of us. We know that God is all-forgiving, that God is love, and that God has uh, continued to bless us 
And so we just continue to stay in our habitual sins. And we continue to uh, disregard following his word because we don't want to be legalistic. I've been there many, many times in my life. But God calls us to serve him with, with wholeheartedness, with excitement, and with joy. And that's what James is going to remind us. We all need to be hearers of God's word, but this book will remind us that we also need to be doers of God's word. So, shall we read our scripture of the day? Our scripture is small in the sense of length, but it's uh, mighty in power. All scripture is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. James 1.1 is, is all we're going to read. One verse. Very simple yet profound. Would you stand with me as we read that? And could I get someone just to turn my mic down just a little bit? Thanks, Lisa. James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mighty word. Thank you, God, for working uh, through James in writing these words. Uh, thank you for affecting our lives uh, with this book. May we continue uh, to love you, or may we grow to love you, and may we serve you uh, with, uh, with great pleasure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'll do my best here to make sure that I'm communicating what the outline is. If you have your outline, it's in your bulletin. We don't have anything on the screen today, so I'll do my best to state it because sometimes in my notes, I don't have the actual words written in there. It just flows. However, I did bring a cheat sheet up here with me. So the book of James. First things first, we see that this verse was written by a humble servant of God. The book was written by a, a humble servant of God. And it's great, just fabulous, how James introduces himself in this book. James 1 1. I read it from the ESV. Can we get. Who, ha who has another version besides the ESV? I want to hear some different versions. Go ahead, Travis. What, what version do you have? King James. Man, I mean, that's spot on what I wanted. Okay. Who else has one? Yeah, NIV. Another one. Tiffany, you don't have ESV, do you? You do. Yeah, Tom doesn't. Yeah, let me hear that. Yeah, go ahead and read that first line one more time. Let's stop there. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bondservant. That, that's just a, a great phrase, and, and I, I tend to actually think that that's what this phrase should have been. I, I'm an ESV guy. That's the version of my Bible that I like to use, uh, but, uh, and it uses servant. In Roman times, the term bondservant or slave could refer to someone who just voluntarily served other people voluntarily served, just like my children are bond servants to me and my wife, right? Voluntarily serve us as they look upon me. It's usually referred to as someone who held a permanent position of servitude. Maybe uh, I've heard some people say that it was, it was a slave that got released by their master, and then they came back and said, 
I am here to humbly serve you the rest of my life. That's, that's the picture we have here. Under Roman law, a bondservant was considered the owner's personal property. Slaves essentially had no rights at all. And if for some reason they bothered the owner, they could be killed without any retribution from the government. Genesis 26, 24, it identifies Abraham as a servant of God. Abraham. Numbers identifies Moses as God's servant. We see also in the Old Testament, Joshua, David, Isaiah. They're all called servants of the Most High. Servants. Many great fathers of the faith from the Old Testament were identified or they proclaimed themselves that they were servants. They were bond servants. Our Savior, you remember our Savior? He even identified himself as a servant of God. He humbled himself to, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humbled himself before, the, before God Almighty. We see here that James, in this book, he's claiming that he is a bondservant. We see these exact same phrases from Paul, from Peter, from Timothy, from Jude. They all make this claim that they're all bondservants, that they're, they're willing servants of God. And then James not only includes God, that he's a servant of God, but then he adds that, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just in that simple statement, he includes two people of the Trinity, knowing that he, you can't serve two masters. But when it comes to being a bondservant of God Almighty, I am a bondservant of God Almighty, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, because they are one, three in one. There are many things that, that James could have said here in the opening. He, he could have said, Hi, I'm James, and, and, and shared his relationship with Jesus. He could have said, I, I'm Dr. James. I'm Pastor James. He could, he could have said all kinds of things, but he chose to be humble in his commentary. I hope that that's the message that at some point in my life that I could get across. Not that I'm, I'm pastor, not that I'm a broadcaster or school board member or, or a father or, or a husband, but that I am a servant of God. I want people to know me as, wow, that guy is a bond servant. That guy is a servant of Jesus Christ, of God Almighty. That would be a great thing to have on your, on your tombstone, a bond servant of God. And I hope we all our focus on that, that we are serving God. We're at the feet of the king, serving at his pleasure. So who is this bond servant? Who is this humble servant? The introduction tells us that his name is James, but that's it. He doesn't tell us anything else. I, I see four possibilities of who this James is. The first one, is found in Matthew 10, where it says, James, the son of Alphaeus. We don't know an awful lot about this James. He is one of the 12 apostles, the lesser James, as, as referred to at times. He could be the brother of Matthew. We, we see that in Mark 2, 14. It says, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. That would be a speculation. We don't know. We don't know if they're tied together. But this James could be the author, but we're guessing he's not. I say we. I'm speaking of scholars, probably not myself, but based on my studies. The second James is James, the father of the apostle Judas. Not Judas Iscariot. Uh, but they made a differential saying Judas Iscariot and, and, and Judas, the son of James. Luke 6.16 records that. Again, we have no reason 
to believe that this James is the James who wrote this book. It's possible, but we have no reason to believe that uh, based on the evidence. The third one is a little more popular, and, and the one that we hear about more often, James, the son of Zebedee. James, the brother of John. In fact, we see all over Scripture that James and John, anytime James is mentioned, this James, the son of Zebedee, he's always mentioned with John every single time. That's without, with, with only one uh, difference, even though John was named in it. It was, it was the point when James was martyred, when he was killed. James was, uh, we, we don't believe this was the James that wrote it because we believed that he was in, the, in glory already. We believe that he had already died before this book was written. We see it in Acts 12, verses 1 through 3. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So this James probably wasn't around. Based on the evidence we have in the book of James of when it was written, uh, to have been able to write this book. In fact, some people uh, believe that this book not only was a letter that was written, some people uh, have speculated that it was a sermon given. And it was such a great sermon that, that he put it into writing, that the Holy Spirit guided him to write it and, and then to send it out. The fourth James, and, and, and the James that most scholars agree that this book was written, uh, was the half-brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus. In your notes, it would say the author was the half-brother of Jesus. So this James is sometimes referred to as James the Just. Now, interesting enough, the Catholic Church, along with several other religious organizations, they do not believe that James was the half-brother of Jesus, but instead they point back to James of Alphaeus, the first one we talked about. But I want to examine the scriptures together. And I think it's important for us uh, to understand who the author is. Galatians 1.19. Going to the book of Galatians, Paul writing it, he said, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. That was pretty simple, pretty plain. Paul saying that the Lord Jesus had a brother. And his name? His name was James. So let's go deeper. Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 starts talking about how uh, Joseph and Mary, how, how they were going to go give birth uh, to, to a baby. And, and interesting enough, it talks about um, the virginity of Mary. And here's where the issue lies in because uh, the Catholic Church along with some other uh, churches, they hold the belief that Mary did not have another child after Jesus because they hold to the doctrine of perpetual virginity. So Matthew 1, 24 through 25 says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. And, and we see right away in that scripture first that, that he knew her not until after she gave birth, which then we could deduct that he did know her after that point. Second, verse 25, it's really interesting. Verse 25 in Matthew 1, it reads in the ESV, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. You have the King James, right, Travis? Can you read uh, Matthew 1, verse 25? Put him under a sword drill. Matthew 1, 25. Again, the ESV says, but, he, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. The King James says... Her firstborn son. Her firstborn son. If, if she had a firstborn son, that's telling us that there's other children. 
another son, at least one. But that's only found in the King James Version. I, I looked in several other versions. Yes, it is found in a couple others, but, but not in many of our uh, translations. But then I looked into Luke. Now, Luke was a physician, and, and he, he was very uh, strong in his writing and what he wrote and why he wrote it. In the second chapter of his book, he said, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. That's in most versions. Firstborn son. The firstborn is there. So when we dig into the scriptures even more, like Mark 6.3, stick with me, friends. It says, is not... The people are saying about Jesus, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. We, we see four brothers named here, and we also uh, see that there was at least two sisters, plural. Jesus coming from a large family. And, and, and it happens in other places, too, all over where they're, they're talking about this. And in fact, in all of these lists where they talk about Jesus' brothers, James is always listed first, which most likely identifies him as the oldest after Jesus. Interesting enough, Matthew 13, 55 has nearly an identical verse as that as well. So I believe as we look into the scripture, we can see that the writer, this is your second point, uh, under, the, under the first point, second bullet under the first point, the writer was not a believer in the Messiah until after the resurrection. So I'm saying James, the brother of Jesus, he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, was the anointed one, until after the resurrection. One of my favorite verses to share, and it has been for about 20 years, is Mark 3.35. It's probably not many people's favorite verses to share, but, but I've always appreciated it. We are all brothers and sisters and mothers in Christ, the verse goes, at least the version that I memorized. It's an interesting story here, and it's cited in every gospel. We'll, we'll talk about here in Mark 3, but it's also in Luke 8, John 2, and Matthew 12. Here it is, Mark 3, 31 through 35. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, this is Jesus answering, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus took an opportunity while his mom and, and siblings came there to explain that if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you do the will of God, you are going to be my brother and my sister in Christ. It almost feels like the family here is trying to call Jesus out for maybe an intervention. we got, we got to intervene. This guy's crazy. And, and where do I get that? Earlier on in the chapter, Mark 3, 20 through 21, it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, and so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. They did not trust in who Jesus was proclaiming he was. They're suggesting to one another, we need to deal with this. We don't want him to die. And we hear people talking. You think about Jesus as a little kid. Think about him as a little kid, and, and you're his brother growing up with him. I know, I know growing up with, with my brothers and and. And sometimes I think they've lost their mind now as adults. And, and because I know who they are inside and out. You, you think about, well, the, the, there, there's some traditions that out there that say that 
that Jesus uh, went to the dead bird and he raised it to life, or, or he uh, parted the water in, in, their, in their lake there, or, or he walked on water, or he or performed all these miracles, I, I would deduct that he didn't do, do those miracles. I, I would say that his first miracle was when he changed water to wine and, and, and based on what scripture has taught. I, I would say that, that his brothers did not see him as, um, a, as a, a person who could perform unbelievable miracles. We know that Jesus did not sin. I don't know what that looked like in their home. If, if some of the kids, if James, he got spanked because he was disobeying mom and, and, and Jesus was perfect, I, I don't know what that looked like. But I do, I, I, I do deduct that based on what we see here, where they think Jesus is crazy and they're trying to pull him out to, to get him back to safety, that, that they probably didn't see a lot of... Uh, uh, miraculous things growing up. The one thing I think back to is, is when he was 12 and he was, they were asking him questions in the temple and he was speaking so beautifully, but his brothers didn't see that. His mom came and, and was upset about it and pulled him out. They probably, that probably made him more, we'll call it, human in, in their sight because he was disobeying mom, mom and dad. The brothers did not believe in Jesus and they thought he was doing wrong and, and they were just scared for his life. But I believe that Jesus did come to know the Lord after the resurrection. And I believe scripture teaches us that. First, we get the picture in Acts 1. Acts 1, verses 12 through 14, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James, those were the three, that was the, James, the son of Zebedee, and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, Judas, the son of James, and all these, one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, listen to this, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In this one section of scripture, we see all of our James people that we've talked about brought one story, one commentary. James, the half-brother of our Lord, he was there in the room, in the upper room, awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon him. 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says, then he appeared to James then to the, all the apostles, referring to the resurrected Jesus Christ. Powerful stuff. It was telling us that J Jesus, he chose to show himself to his earthly brother. And he may have shown himself to his other family, just not recorded here. James became a believer after the resurrection, and as his Lord and Savior appeared to him face to face, and what a moment that had to be. Imagine your brother... If you have a brother and, and, and you didn't believe him, you thought he was crazy, he died, and, and then all of a sudden there he was, resurrected. He said, it's okay. I understand the difficulty of understanding who I am. And you know, that's what we have. Sometimes we have something that's blocking us from trusting in Jesus Christ with everything that we have. Willing to bow down to him. You see, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he doesn't identify himself as James, the brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus. James, uh, the close relative of Jesus. He says, no, I'm James. And I'm a bondservant. I am a willing servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not his brother. No, no. He was no, not even close to equal, and James knew that. And how can we know that as individuals that we are not equal to Jesus Christ, that we are not God? 
this is where we see that the composer, this is the third bullet, the composer of this epistle was a pillar for God's church. If you remember Peter, he was going to be martyred by Herod, and, and, and he was in jail, and, and all the people are at, gathered at a house, and they're praying that Peter is spared and that Peter is helped. And he's freed from his cell, from an angel. And he walks out, and, and Scripture teaches that, that Peter went to the home and immediately is knocking. And they thought it was someone else, and, and finally they, they go and answer the door, and it's Peter. Acts 12, 13, we pick up the story. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that this is so. And they kept saying, is it an angel? But Peter continued knocking. Finally, they opened it. Sometimes at our house, when, when the door's locked and we're inside and one of our family members gets home, including me, and we knock at the door and no one answers, then you knock harder and maybe you start kicking the bottom of it. You want to let them know. You ring the doorbell multiple times. Finally, in verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand, because they were, they were fully amazed to be silent, he just stopped him. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And then this is what Peter said. Tell these things to James and to the, his brothers and to the brothers. And then he departed and went away to another place. Peter is saying, make sure that James knows about this story. James had been lifted to a prominent place a prominent position within the church. In fact, we see in Acts 15, during the Jerusalem Council, we hear that James speaks up in a very big way. This, this gives us even more evidence. Acts 15, 12 through 21, and the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul. They're trying to figure out what, what they're going to do, by the way, with the Gentiles and the Jews and, and, and their preaching and, and how they're going to com communicate How are we going to be related? What signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles? And they finished speaking. James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. Then he gives a quote. James gives us, this beautiful quote from the prophets. And in verse 19, he says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Why is this important to know? Why have we taken all of this time to talk about this author, this composer, this writer of the epistle, of this book of James? Because we're establishing who he is and what he believes and what he stands for and where he comes from and where his life is. Sometimes when, when I'm communicating with you or Pastor Dave is, it's important to know some of our background, to know where we're coming from, to, to, to know our story a little bit and why we're coming about it in a certain way. This was a man who had great authority, who had been given great authority, but he's willing to humble himself to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And it's also very interesting to know that James was a pillar of the church because he writes in the book, James, a bondservant of God. He doesn't need any other name. Everyone knows who James is. And if you're the pillar of the church, if, if Bill wrote a letter to you guys, to Indian Creek, Bill could just say, hi, this is Bill. 
and we all would know who it was. He's a pillar of our church, and so is Peter, or excuse me, so is James. So we must move on. We're going to go through the second two points much quicker. We know that this book, this is the second point, was written to a specific group of believers. It was written to a specific group of believers. The second part of the verse, of verse 1 says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So the book was written to, our first bullet, scattered Jewish Christians. James said to the 12 tribes, and, and you know, we just completed a series talking about Joseph and Joseph's brothers. Those were the, the, the 12 gentlemen whom the 12 tribes were created from. In fact, the 12 apostles will be over each of those tribes. And, and so we know that the people that James pens this letter to are, are Jewish. That's who he's writing to. That's his, that's his audience. And, and for only the Jews belong to the 12 tribes. Also, we know that they were Christians. They were Jewish Christians. Because the entire book is explaining and exhorting Christians to live a certain way. And is this book only written to you if you are a Christian? No. But it is to let you know what Christians will live like. It is to let you know what, what it looks like when you are a Christian and how your faith gets played out and how, how it resembles God and Jesus Christ, how, how we can reflect his image. Also, we know that they were uh, Christians because of, of, of the way he was asking you to honor your life. Nowhere does it talk about Jesus dying on the cross in the book of James. Because it's assumed. He knows that these are believers. These are people who trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Finally, we see that they were scattered Jewish Christians. The ESV uses the word dispersion. Dispersion. That they were dispersed, but we could use the word scattered. But why were they scattered? Why? Second point. Second bullet under number two. They're scattered because they were suffering persecution. They were suffering persecution. Acts 7 records the death of Stephen. When Stephen was martyred, he was stoned to death because of his belief in Jesus Christ and in the resurrection. Acts 8 tells us that there was a man named Saul who was ravaging the church. You guys know him by the name Paul. Persecution was, was flooding the landscape, and the Christians were running for their lives. But where were they going? Well, in careful study, you'll see that, that they headed north. That, that they ran north. Acts 8 says, And there arose on the day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Acts 11.19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. They were scared. They ran for their lives. So James has decided he's going to send a letter to them and communicate with them on what their lives should look like no matter where they are living. And this book was written in order to give much-needed practical spiritual direction. That's the third bullet under number two. Practical spiritual direction. You see, small churches were popping up all over the place and they needed direction. And James was serving as, as if not the first pastor of the Christian church. And he understood that, that these believers were like infants, like newborns. And what do you give a newborn? You give them milk and, and, and to allow them to survive. 
But what do you give someone who wants to mature and wants to grow strong? You give them meat. You give them, you give them a, a, a strong serving of heavy stuff because you want them to, to grow up. And there's a time in our lives where we have to stop being babies. We have to, to stop only drinking milk. And we have to dig in, get, get our fork and knife, and, and we have to eat the, the food that's going to make us big and strong. And that food is the word of God. That food is learning and understanding how you're supposed to live on a daily basis in order to serve Jesus Christ. That makes you into a, a, a grown-up in Scripture. That makes you into uh, a mature believer. You see, there are some believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ, outwardly at least, for 50 years. And they come to church every week, and they go home and do whatever they want, and they come to church the next week. Maybe they even come to Wednesday nights. They're retired. They don't have anything to do. But you know what? They may still be an infant in their walk with Jesus Christ. And there may be a believer who, who's been trusted in, in the Lord for two years, and they are just devouring God's word. They're spending time on their knees praying to God and, and learning from the Holy Spirit. And that person may be a warrior a mature believer. Who are you? And if I were to sum up this book, going to the third point here, I'd say that it was written, that it was written to spur believers to test their faith. That's, that's one of my personal goals here, is that I want to test your faith. I want you to test your faith. I want you to, to look at your faith and say, is this real? Am I living a life for Jesus Christ, or is this just a, a, a facade? Am I doing this for mom and dad? Am I doing this for my girlfriend? Am I doing this just so my wife is happy? Why am I here learning about God. Why am I here serving God? I want you to challenge yourself because I am going to be challenging myself on a daily basis why I'm doing what I'm doing and what I'm doing. James was identifying three main ideas of where true religion is found. He was saying that true religion is found in our conduct our conduct during trials and tribulations. This will be real short. First bullet in there is conduct. And this was relevant of the people he was dealing with. We just heard that people were being killed, martyred for believing in Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting to think about that, that historians teach us that James was killed for his belief as well. In about 62 AD, James was, was given the option to go up on, on the top of, uh, of the uh, um, uh, church, I'll, I'll use the word church, and, and to go up there and, and to proclaim that he did not believe in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, he would be stoned to death. This is, this is according to history, and, and a few historians have, have written this, and, and, and so... James agreed to it. James, this, this guy who's, who's telling us over, over 50 verses, maybe close to 60 verses in, in all of James, how, how we are to live out our faith no matter what and how we're to conduct ourselves during trials and tribulations. And James goes up on, on the top of there and, and, and he's going he's gonna to denounce his love for Jesus Christ. At least that's what they thought. And he goes up there and he proclaims the gospel. So, some people have said nearly nine stories high. So they got so furious that they shoved him off. 
the top of that. And he fell to the ground, and he didn't die. He stood back up. Again, this is history, not in Scripture. And they were so angered with him that he was alive, that the people he was preaching to from atop took stones and, and just kept chucking at him and pounding him in the head as, as hard as they could until he finally died. And one historian actually commented that he, just like Stephen, just like our Lord and Savior, said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a great little story. Don't know of the exact factual part of it, but great to think about. You see, we have trials and tribulations all the time. You and I do. Amen? All the time, we have trials and tribulations. I was talking with Pastor Dave earlier. He spent nine days with a sickness in this past week and a half. Yeah, that's just a, a simple trial that he had to go through. I think of our brother Denny here. Denny, have you had to go through a little trial? Denny's head was nearly scalped off in an accident, and they have recovered. He still isn't back to work. How long has it been now? Ten months? We, we all suffer different trials. Sometimes it's losing a job. Sometimes it's having no money because uh, the oven broke again. Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes it's a, it's a child. Maybe for a child it's the parent. We have, we have all kinds of things, but how is your conduct? That's what James is going to address, and that's what we're going to address together. How is your conduct during those trials, during those tribulations? James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. That is awesome. Also true religion, second point here, it is found in our compassion for orphans, widows, and the poor. Here again, James is reflecting so much from the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the most famously used and quoted scriptures that covers the compassion portion is James 1.27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Powerful, powerful stuff that James is, is going to teach us through the Holy Spirit, and hopefully we'll be able to even change our lives on a daily basis. Finally, the third bullet there, finally true religion, is found in our conversations with both believers and non-believers. James is going to go into great detail. Great detail, talking about taming our tongue. How many of, he, of us here need work on taming our tongue? Our tongue, yeah, I thought you were raising your hand. That was, I was like, go get him, that a boy, Jay. Taming, I'm like an auctioneer, I'll call you out. If, taming our tongue. We need to tame our tongue. We got a, a, a few engaged couples in here. And, and, and you guys need to learn to tame your tongue because us old-timers who have, who have been married for 20-plus years, we figured out that sometimes you just don't need to speak. You need to be wise and, and stop. <laughs> I was talking to the guys there. <laughs> we also... Need to, get, <laughs> need to get into the, the, the effect, the, the mindset of not boasting about tomorrow. Not boasting about tomorrow. That's part of our, our, our mouth that gets us in trouble. I think I told you one time that I was visiting with, or I had a gentleman riding a car with me for an hour and a half, and, and the entire time he told Pastor Tim and I, we, we did not speak, I did not speak, Tim said one one phrase, I think, the entire time. Told us how he was going to be the greatest. How he was going to be a multimillionaire. And how he was going to affect 
all of Village Bible Church and the ministry there and how we would be just grateful to have him join our church. Just amazed me at the, at the boasting that someone would do. But then I look at, in the mirror and I see a man who boasts. And if we're real with ourselves, we all boast about certain things, certain things we're so confident about. But James is going to remind us our boasting should come in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our boasting should come about what he has done for us because we can't even come close to compare to what he has done for us. What did he do for us? He lived for us. He came to earth for us. He then went to a cross for us. I mean, he suffered all that pain and all that suffering. And then three days later, he came back to life. He overcame death. We can't repay that. We, we can't do anything compared to what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's given us, us, he's given us everything. He gave us his all and more some. The entire book is full of practical training and application. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, half-brother, he penned a letter that not, not only had an effect on the Jewish Christians in 45 A.D., but this letter has affected the entire kingdom of God for centuries. The truths that are written in this book are just as relevant today as they were back then. And I hope that we can fully engage in this letter and gain a fresh perspective on what it truly means to bow down and to serve the king. Capital K. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful, truly thankful, to serve you. Teach us how to serve you uh, in greater ways, not so that we can boast, not so we can say how great we are, but so we can say how great you are. Give us opportunities, God, to proclaim your name uh, with gladness and with joy and with happiness. Let our faith, let our faith be, be done and, and be celebrated through the works to you, to our Savior. I'm thankful for the gift, the gift you have, you've offered all of us, a gracious gift of your salvation, that you shed your, shed your blood, that we could be forgiven for the sins uh, that we uh, offer in our life, our perpetual sins throughout our life that we continue to, to do, may we continue to come to you and ask that you cover our sins and make us white as snow. Thank you for uh, your life and your death and your resurrection so we could have hope, hope in our future, hope in our eternity, and we'll celebrate it with you. Lord, bless our our time in studying one of your servants' writings. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.